0: Welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 82. I'll introduce you to who we have on in a minute. I always like to say sort of who was last and who was, who was uh, next week. Um, and I don't think it could be more topical than ever before. Uh, last uh, last week we had, um, we had Michael Blanche who was talking about how to get into farming, how to find a way onto the farming ladder, and he is a Nuffield Scholar. Um with his his scholarship called The Farming Ladder. He travelled to uh, Cambodia, India, New Zealand, France, and the States, I believe it was, to sort of see the troubles different farmers the world over had in getting tenancies and getting buying land next week I have someone that I'm quite sure a lot of people in this call of which we have seven others by the way um, will have heard of is Mr. Charles Dowding so it's somewhat of the uh, yeah see I, I don't know what you are seeing I'm recording this slightly different I don't know if you can just see me at the minute or if you can see all of us we'll see you when it comes out in a video and if you can see all of us I just look very silly at the minute um, everyone looks quite excited with Charles Dowding coming on so yeah they sort of Father of no dig. We've got people dancing and very excited. So uh, yeah, it was very interesting, very much one of those discussions where I spent an hour not knowing a thing about what we're talking about. So all good fun in general. Um, But today we have the Regenerative Farming Network of Southwest Scotland, which I think I've said correctly. Uh, I'd learned the wrong name a minute ago and Abby had told me there. But I'm going to pass you all on to Abby, who's going to tell us a bit about what's involved here. Uh, and then we'll go through everyone that's in uh, this well not everyone that's involved but everyone's on the call today so yeah abby could you tell us a bit about the regenerative farming network just before we get started with another episode of the r2 cast i would like to thank our primary sponsors a plan rural a plan rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to A-Plan Rural for that.
1: Sure thing. Hi, hi Wallace. Um, It's great great to meet you finally in person. Well, yeah. sort of in person. <laughs> Big
0: in person, you know. Hey,
1: uh, I can see you. <laughs> so I, I believe you're I believe you're now a real person. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, my name's Abby. I'm a market gardener um in Galloway. Uh, so I'm I'm based in the Lenkens uh, near balmacallan Um and I, I market garden on it's only about a quarter of an acre to half an acre, so it's not a huge space. Um and I sell my vegetables to uh, households in balmacallan in in uh, New Galloway, in Dalry, and a little bit to kind of cafes and restaurants around the area as well. Um, I'm really, really passionate about uh, about kind of you know soil health and e- ecosystems and ecology and stuff like that. So uh, when I was approached in 2021 by Nourish, which is a sort of Scottish campaigning organisation for better food and farming systems, um, to host uh, a series of dialogues um, with farmers. Uh, got with farmers and also with local authority policy officers about agriculture and climate change <laughs> so, um in the run up to COP26 it seem like a really good opportunity to bring um farmers of all types together uh, so start talking about I guess shifting shifting the narrative from um I guess conventional farming to uh, more agroecological and regenerative uh, farming systems um so that was 2021 and then After COP26 in early 2022, uh, we kind of opened the group up a bit more. Um, So we went from 50 people, there was 50 people uh, signed up for that group and joining webinars in 2021. Um, We opened it up in early to early 2022 and the group's now expanded to, we've just shipped over 160. Um, uh, Just literally last then this week, I've added another three people. Um, And... Basically, what people get when they join the Regenerative Farming Network is uh, a bulletin from me every Tuesday, which is a roundup of lots of um, webinars and events and podcasts and uh, videos and reading and research, which are all kind of themed around different aspects of um, regenerative and agroecological farming systems. Um, we try and have a farm walk every month. Uh, so we're off to Bail um on the 23rd of February this month. Where we can see stuff happening in practice and actually meet each other in person Um, and then this group all these lovely humans here uh, are part of the soil health group and the soil health group are uh, 17 17 farmers all together who have kind of committed to uh, joining each other a bit bit more often so we have a weekly zoom call um, and we use soil mentor as a shared kind of collaborative platform uh, we have a, a very busy whatsapp group um, and share lots of knowledge on a daily basis all the time sometimes just pictures of sheep and um, quite often pictures of sheep of <laughs> Why not. <It's> been- <laughs> Um but and and yeah, and we we try and dig holes, dig a lot of holes and count a lot of earthworms and um look at riser sheaths and infiltration rates and that kind of thing and do everything we can to help each other to um, improve our, our farming systems. And yeah, and I'll let everybody else introduce themselves that we're a, we're a very diverse bunch and come from a range of different backgrounds. So there's a lot going on. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say, yeah. It's a big knowledge sharing peer to peer to peer, land worker, farmer to, to farmer um yeah knowledge sharing group Uh, so we're all we're all basically on the same on the same page um we want to we want to do better
0: yeah well that's it and and i think you know you mentioned the sort of bulletin it must take you ages
1: to write those emails they're huge i don't
0: (laughs) think i've ever written an email that big and, and everything in it is good Everything that's in its interest, and it was quite a pleasure to actually be involved in it once, but, uh, you know, it, it's fantastic and quite an honour again tonight to, to to hijack your weekly meeting, but um, what I'm going to do is, the way I'm seeing this on my screen is probably different to anyone else, but it's the way I'm going to go with it anyway. Uh, I tell you what, we'll go, we'll go through and we'll sort of, we'll, we'll hear everyone's story now. Uh, Hugh, you seem to be first for me. Could you tell us about yourself and, and, and your sort of backstory? <clears throat> yeah, hi, hi,
2: hi Wallace. Um, I like Abby's word, committed. Um, she certainly is, and uh, so are so the group. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm Hugh Connick. I'm, I'm managing director. I run a company called Connick's Group. We're, uh, we're based in southwest Scotland, Newton-Stewart, and we work all over the UK, but primarily Scotland. And we work in land, environment, and utilities. So the core at the heart of our company, I guess, is ecology and environmental management. And... Uh, you know, we run a small team of uh, seven of us and uh, we work on anything from holistic land management in, in agriculture and farming through to uh, forestry, feasibility, sustainability. We work with lots of different companies from small, you know, private landowners. We've got a couple of acres up to landowners who've got thousands of acres and uh, some of the largest utility companies uh, who operate, you know, in in, in the U.K., um, I'm a Welshman and I've been living in Scotland for 20 odd years. And uh Saturday is going to be some, some match of the rugby, but uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep, keep that out of it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, you know, the, the group is an amazing group of people. Um, I have grown immensely just by being amongst them and in their company. And, uh, you know, the diversity and, and the sharing is great. And, and uh, it's a very inclusive, non-judgmental environment. Uh, where you know you can turn up if you want to, and and uh, yeah, you can just just chat in a free environment and share ideas. So um, yeah, I think I think through
0: COVID that was sort of things we missed, and then I know you guys started through COVID and things like Zoom and whatnot gave gave platform for that, and it was good. But uh, now that we're sort of coming out of the the Zoom whatever you want to call it, I don't know period. <laughs> uh, even though it's still here, it's useful, and it's not like oh my god Zoom you're using it normally for something pretty positive and, and being able to sort of get on the ground and see each other again that's good I wish I could sort of enjoy the rugby chat but if I didn't have about four million people post Duhan on Facebook I wouldn't have and have to google it then I wouldn't have known what Duhan meant so uh, yeah. I, I thought it was another Chinese city uh, I had no idea <laughs> so rugby is not my thing football no. all day eh, but uh eh,
2: no, I know that's not There, cool, no, no. no.
0: <laughs> I was asking my mates. I was like, I don't actually understand the rules. What are these words? What's a rock and all this? And they just said, just shut up, Wallace, and stick to football. But um, I'll, I'll come back to you in a minute. You, I have a question yeah. sort of before before um, the company. But uh, John, could you tell us a bit about yourself? You're muted. <laughs>
3: I'll get are. the swear box ready. <laughs> hi, hi Wallace. Um I'm John Veach, a, a small tenant farmer, a, a near near a Fleet. Um I'm fourth generation. Um and I'll be the last. Okay. I've no 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 family. And uh, that when it when I'm ready to stop, that'll be it. Um I hope that eventually I'll be able to leave it better than I got it. The farm, I mean, um, hence the, the move to a, a mere nature friendly. After watching a podcast, a webinar thing last Monday night, I think I've maybe finally found where I sit mm-hmm. and that high nature value farming, high value nature farming, whatever seems to just be it. If you took the top off my head and unscrambled the mess that's in there, you you might just to come up with something that resembled what they were saying, so it was quite worthwhile. Like like this group, everybody's so diverse, as you say, non-judgmental. You can talk as much nonsense as you like, and somebody's maybe able to point you in a better direction. I'm quite new to the regenerative style, and that came about as much as today we, the price of fertilizer and no putting it on, and still needing to be productive as much as my interest in the wider, biodiverse nature of the farm. And um, I've got a few suckler coos now, there's only 20, I think there's 22, 23. And I had 150 ewes, which I had cut to 50, much as I'm meaning to change a breed. Um, I'm not that fond of sheep, really. <laughs> I'm, I'm no. I grew up with an Ayrshire Dairy, we had pedigree years, mm. years when I was wee, and I think that rubs off, I, I, I think it does. Um, but but anyway, eh, uh, BSE galvanised the need not to have all your eggs in one basket. Um, so there'll probably have to be graziers. It's a grazing farm, it's not a cropping farm, um, and quite a wet area. So mm-hmm. forage is easy enough to, silage is easy enough to grow hay maybe, isn't it? Um, so there will have to be graziers or mixed species. They might be pol- Might have to be some deer, who knows. Maybe even Ooh. some goats. I don't know. <laughs> well, quite yeah. quite, quite a lot of things in the mix. <laughs> My old man's selling some goats if you're needing some. So, uh... <laughs> And I think we've another lady in the, in the group who breeds goats. So. I love goats.
0: They're so fun. They're just, it just, you could watch them all day. And, it, you know, this isn't going well. I've got one rugby fan when I'm a football fan. I've got one cow fan when I'm a sheep fan. You know, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what's coming next. I just, uh, I see a harp in the background of the next person. So I, I'm not anti-harp because I don't really know anything about any <laughs> musical instruments. So at least it's going well so far. Uh, that is a fantastic, John. I've got a few questions for yourself as well, but we'll, we'll move on at the minute. Uh, Evie, could you tell us a bit about yourself, please?
4: Um, the reason for the harp is just to take your eyes off the bed
0: so, <laughs> I never even saw the bed which said. is
4: covered in um electric fencing gear, they sent the wrong size of something today so. anyway, it's a mess This is the game. you're all in really nice places in fact, Hugh looks like he's in a jungle <laughs> a kind of backlit jungle why yeah, am I but, living in a mess?
0: but you could say he's a bit of a fraud, you don't know what's behind him actually, he's just got one oh. of those backlit Done, you know, I've got a pretty boring background of the
4: top of a headboard and a white wall. So I can't work <laughs> <of doing> it. <laughs> I'm so envious of all you minimalists. Um, because I obviously. So anyway, I live I'm completely different. I live in a community which started as a commune back in the early 70s, 50 years ago. It's not commune now. It's I suppose theoretically, legally, we're a housing block. But I've been okay. here for 40 years. We grow all our own veg in a Victorian walled garden. Um, We've got milk cows, we've got some chickens, we have pigs in the summer, you know, um, we get our own firewood, we've got our own hydroelectric scheme off the burn. But then, um, so I mean, we've been trying, sort of, I've been becoming aware of regenerative farming. I went, um, at a very old age, to the uni at Dumfries to do that environmental science and sustainability thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I could be quite derogatory about it. But anyway, I went at a bad time, I think. And then there was COVID. And then I got a really bad diagnosis. I'm not ever so well. But about that time, we also bought a bit of land nearby, like 45 acres, to stop the local super dairy or the local... Sitka spruce magnates, or whoever it was, to take it over. We also managed to stop Abby, which was not intentional in that way. So, uh. <laughs> anyway, so it's weird. So, um, and I this is my dream really is to, um, I, oh, years ago, um, I got a free ticket to the ethical conference, was it called, you know, at Ranging Farm, they got the ethical deity and they did a conference because I was a student at that point, they gave me a free place, and I, you know, and I remember this old couple from Texas who were amazing. And I was thinking, they flew them in, this is terrible, but they were amazing and they blew my mind uh, they were doing kind of mom grazing. So, and I think some of what I learned at the uni as well made me think I'm really fascinated by soil and I've been reading lots and stuff. So finally, um, and we've got a kindly, friendly farmer who's lent us some, we've had yearlings last year, cows I'm talking. We also had loads of sheep, and I must admit, I'm not a fan, mainly because I'm too old to kind of throw myself about and get beaten up by them. And they seem to need endless feet things and shearing things and what was it, fly, what is it called?
0: I'm guessing treatment for strike and such like that. Yeah.
4: Fly strike, that's the one. Um, <laughs> so they seemed much more disposable and sad and frightened. Whereas the cows just seem great and hunky and laid back. And, they, and actually once we got, once the sheep went, it was just easier keeping cows in. So we've been mob grazing, It was our first year. We sort of let, uh, rented it out the summer before. And so this is a bit of land that's been a quarry until 30 years ago. So it's really been messed up by humans. And then it's been set stocked with make, mostly sheep, some cattle mm-hmm. for 30 years. Um, so it's, you know, I was amazed there was 40 species of, you know, forbs and grasses and whatever the other one, legumes, um, this summer, and that was the first kind of season that has been rotationally grazed, whatever. So I'm very excited about what's going to come up, although it's been quite a hard winter on it. And, oh yeah, um, We're going yeah. to plant some trees. So there's a lot happening and it's just, I just hope my energy keeps up with it and we'll get some more, um cattle in and i don't know how i'd ever get into money making because boy that's hard i'm doing my holistic management training right now and that's really good
0: it sounds like you say you worry your energy will keep up it sounds like your passion will certainly overrun the energy it doesn't sound like that'll be an issue yeah <laughs> um, that
4: is what i'm hoping
0: i have so many questions about the commune idea that's so interesting but we'll come back in a minute you uh
4: moving on to colin what was that you can come for a visit anytime you like
0: excellent excellent and um, you're going to regret that because i take people up on these things they're like oh yeah you should come and i'm like okay i'll be there next week uh, so <laughs> um i will take you up on that um colin uh, funnily enough we actually have our namesakes my first name is actually colin and um, so uh, Good name. Yeah. It is a good name, it is a good name indeed, Uh, but uh, my dad and my papa were both Colin and lived in the same house when I was born, so mum gets sick of shouting and getting an old decrepit man, a husband and a little kid, so uh, yeah. um, My
5: father-in-law works with us in the farm and he's Colin as well, so.
0: Well, Colin just seems to be a name that you either have no relationship to or everyone is Colin. Yeah, yeah,
5: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, So yeah, Colin, tell us about
5: yourself. Uh, I'm Colin Russell I'm uh, myself and my wife run ramstein farm um we are we're probably as far north as this group goes in in North Ayrshire, um we're we're just outside Kilmarnock, right and um, we've we've got a uh, i i grew I grew up on a farm and uh, myself uh, my wife actually moved to our farm when I was twelve and we kind of became childhood sweethearts there oh. and grew up together on the farm and then um I actually went and did engineering, so I studied mechanical engineering. And um, but we bought a, a small a small holding here, sixteen acres, um, in twenty fourteen when I was still working as an engineer. Because we we were rural people, we wanted to stay rural. You know, we wanted a bit of land. Um, we were lucky enough to get some. Um, and then I got fed up with engineering. <laughs> I got right. fed up with traveling around the world, and it just seemed so excessive. You know, and everything else. You know, constantly flying and just racking up. Your carbon footprint and stuff, um, and then eventually got to the point where I said, No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing this anymore, and, and and decided to break away to the farming side because we we did it as a hobby, you know, the usually the kind of um, the kind of um, small scale for yourself sort of thing. Um, and then we decided to go at it. So in 2019, we went full time with that, or I went full time with that. My wife's a primary teacher, she still teaches part time. Um, our main thing is poultry, um, so we do you are running like the pasture poultry model that you see the likes of Perkins and Salatin and that running um, and trying to kind of prove that out here. Um, and, and we do, we do both layers and broilers. Um, and it's highly mobile system. Um, it's quite challenging and the regulations really don't suit very well for that. Right. Um, so we're always speaking with the regulators about rules and regulations because they're made for big static houses, um, and uh, yeah, so so we've been doing that now for, what one two three so four, four years now, um, and it's it's going well now. There's just so much to learn all the time, and constantly learning. But we we feel like we're starting to get somewhere. Um, we've been developing soy free feeds as well for the last few years, so we've got a kind of own feed now that we that we get made for us, um, and we use all Scottish ingredients as well, which we're, we're quite quite proud of, you know. That's awesome, um, yeah, that's really cool. It's, it's a big, it's a big yeah. topic just now, you know, and it's getting bigger and bigger with, obviously, the destruction that soy has been causing because of the way humans are growing, it, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, um, poultry is the main thing. We also do, we've been implementing silver pasture over the last few years as well, in the fields, so we're creating tree laneways um, on a key line, uh, plan and running a, a, a silver pasture orchard so that in you know four or five years time that'll give us start bearing fruits you know there'll be maybe three three to 350 orchard trees um and try and give us you know that's everyone talks about stacking enterprises you know that kind of thing Aye. where we can we can run the chickens and the, and the sheep in that in between the trees and still get something from the trees um so just kind of implement that we're kind of halfway through planting and you know, We just plant ourselves, so it's kind of a bit slow going, but we, we get there. Um, and then more recently, I've been studying more soil, and that's where this group kind of comes in. You know, um, started doing the training with the Soil food web school in America at Wayne Ingram School. Um, she is
0: a legend.
5: Oh, she is, yeah, yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. She's still the most watched video at um Oxford Drill Farming Conference, you know, the one she did. Um, so, so, yeah, been been doing that and then um, I did a lab tech as well, which I just finished my qualifications in that in December. So, you know, I can now kind of look at soil through the, the microscope and assess it and give a, you know, an accurate assessment to our standards for, for people, you know. So um, we're just looking to start kind of moving some of her work out on the farm, you know, we're making compost and. We're going to start doing teas this year and, and really trying to, you know, typically air show, it's very clay heavy and a lot of compaction issues of soils are all collapsed. So we're just trying to kind of see if we can accelerate the regeneration of that a bit, you know, with microbes. Uh,
0: okay.
5: Yeah, so that's kind of
0: our journey. Well, I, I am an air from man, in fairness. Uh, Brilliant. I'm not not I'm a not free spy, I'm uh, from uh, from Arran. So, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, uh, I don't know if uh, some people in Ayrshire so just strictly don't count that, they just call me a
5: pot flat, but like you know, <laughs> I don't really think that's what I am, but uh, yeah, uh, no. And we've got um, we, we know Woodside and Aaron the farm, they do yeah, passion yeah, poultry yeah. as well, so we, we're good friends with them. I was going to yeah. ask if you know Gordon and Maria Liggett
0: No, all oh, right, have you seen the Wee Bruin Hens? They've stopped trading as that now,
5: but uh, oh, I've heard of that, I've heard of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, Gordon sort
0: of. <clears throat> Gordon worked at uh, Alltwistburn and was like, "Oh, I kind of want to do something different." But he, you know, he got he got proper into it, and he went out to Germany to train, um, looking into production of poultry. And I'm not going to see anymore more and embarrass myself. Germany's
5: either. mad. Germany's got yeah. so much good equipment. You know, if you've got the money, you, it's amazing. That's that's the place. So, yeah, no, oh, I've
0: I've had Joe Salton in the podcast. It was really interesting. Um, oh, fantastic! Yeah, and Joe, you mentioned Elaine. I always got her surname wrong, Ingham, Ingram. Ingham, Ingram. yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was. I just came across a soil food web thing, and quite a lot of people that know me know you were saying you could look under a microscope and be able to tell. I could barely be able to tell if soil was in my hand. Like, I'm dreadful at soil. And uh, <laughs> I was watching this and trying to gain a few things, and she, I can't remember the exact thing she said to compare this to, but the thing she said that I'll tell you about it, I thought was amazing. She was basically saying... This fact is correct. I don't care what you think, I'm right. <laughs> and then she just goes, If it quacks, if, if-, oh if it if got I've ruined If it quacks, it's a duck. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I,
5: yeah. Yeah. It's an Americanism, don't... isn't it? That...
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean yeah. what was it what was it Joel called the yeah, the the gobbledygoals? That's what he called the sort of moving uh, uh things. Um, the, yeah. yeah. The turkeys. Ah yeah. uh, so yeah, yeah, well like the 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 boxes that they're
5: in that you were talking about, I forgot. The yeah, they, the gobbledygooks are there, the, like the perching system that you put them out in the field.
0: And the, yeah, that's the ones, yeah. I thought <laughs> gobbledygooks were brilliant. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, Irene, could you give us a wee bit about yourself? <clears throat> You're muted at the minute. I spotted <laughs> it.
6: <laughs> um, like John, I actually grew up in a dairy farm, but we were British Friesians, not just down in okay. Lancashire. Um, we moved to Scotland when I was in my late teens. My dad was told to stop farming, farm he just chose to go somewhere a bit cleaner aired and carried on. <laughs> so yeah. Up here, we were beating sheep, but my brother's got that farm now. So, where we are, um, I actually did um, 12 years with the Department of Agriculture. Right. Well, i as it is now. As a, I go and started up on the islands, and then shifted down to Dumfries after a wee while, which was kind of handy because it's not far for Dad. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. And um, after a, a wee while, I managed to, with the sell selling a house up there, I managed to buy a a small farm down here. Excellent. And that's where I still am, twenty odd years later. Um, and you've where well. farm. I'm up near Keswick. Right. Right up in the hills. Probably <laughs> um, the only reason I managed to get it is because it's full of electric lines, so they fought with trees, didn't they want it? Of course, yeah, of course. It's uh, a bit useless for trees. Um, so it's long and narrow. Uh, we keep about 25 Galloway, mostly Galloway, some sh- beef shorthand crossies, um, about 110 Giviet cross yows. And... Um, you know, somebody mentioned uh, goats yeah we have a few goats <laughs> 56 goats I... we do a bit of all sorts all <laughs> oh, right okay a few goats not like five a few aye. Right, okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, we do a bit of all sorts It's a small place and try to make a living off it it's not easy um i first met Abbey through the farmer's markets and that because I also, I use the garden for growing veg which I sell and make preserves with Um and my husband does a wee bit of alternative work with the animals using them for TV and film work. Oh really? Pretty cool. Yeah. I, um, as far as getting into the sort of regenerative side of things, I'm a wee bit like John, a bit of a newcomer to it. It's something that's always been there in the background but Unlike most farmers, we don't really use any fertiliser anyway. Well, we don't use any fertiliser up here. It's a waste of time. Um,
0: I know the area you're talking about. It'd be pretty difficult as well if I'm thinking of the right place. I know where Curse Fairness, is, but I'm just sort of basing it on what's around there. It. It'd be pretty tricky to get to a lot of the places
6: fertiliser as well. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's quite a lot of this place you carry it to be a crack. It's in high summer.
2: Yeah, uh, surrounded
6: yeah. by forestry. Absolutely surrounded by forestry which is one of our biggest issues when it comes to like some mob grazing because the forestry dike is atrocious and you try to restrict them on here and they just go and the trees come back in and the next bit down. So that makes life a bit trickier. So it's, it's, it's learning. It's learning how to deal with that, and learning from other folk. Who... I love watching John's videos and these pictures because he's the, He's, he's starting up just the same, and we're I'm just trying to follow him and see what he's learning, and then and then there's Tim as well. Is Tim on tonight? I. moment. is. That was the first farm walk I went on, was down to see Tim and his sheep,
1: right.
6: how he was dealing with it, because he's not that different the size of a farm. It's just a bit lower ground down, and it was how he was dealing with it and the electric fences he's using. And that's what this group's been so good. It's just learning from what other folk are doing. And that's about it, really.
0: That and was. you can see you sort of support each other as well. Like you can yeah. see that, you know, even when each other are talking, you're like, I can see, I can watch you sort of support each other sort of in the background. It's quite nice. Um, I, I Probably not what you expect me to say, but and has the best cafe I've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me to be able to raise it. I'll tell like Lindsay. Me. <laughs> do it. because I, I used to go with my ex's family all the time but funnily enough i don't do that anymore uh, but uh, it was it's absolutely brilliant loved it i mean they do this chili and haggis burger i mean it, it must be about three and a half thousand calories but it's amazing eh uh,
1: so yeah do please pass that on um she, she runs a wee enterprise called scott Matt as well and she does oh, kind really? of like Crazy, crazy um, uh, sort of flavoured scones, like crazy scones. I, crazy, like what, Marmite and Iron Brew or something? I don't know. I'm making that up but, but, yeah. a bit, but yeah. Great C- name. Scone That's Mad. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs>
0: excellent. Yeah, no, they're a, good, they're a good pair if you enjoyed it in there. Um, and Irene had mentioned Tim there. Tim, uh, by oh. no means least, but you are currently last, uh, but
7: no no way least. Uh, give us a wee bit of it yourself there, Tim. <coughs> um, I'm Tim, Kim Barnes and um, been involved in farming all my working life um, as initially as a a hill shepherd in Argyll and then latterly for um, the last um, 15 years up until two and a half years ago as um, uh, also farming my own right as uh, with a contract farming uh, agreement and uh, various things happened which changed my life and I ended up moving down here two and a half years ago. Um, uh, but uh, one thing I suppose that this, that's a very my, minor part of why um, I moved away from Argyle is um, that I came across the concept of regenerative grazing. And it it made so much sense that I couldn't do anything but um, take it on. So it started on on my we croft um, the year before we moved down here uh, with, our, with our small flock of plain ewes, um, using electric fences, uh, with strip, strip grazing and um, overseeding with um, uh, legumes and, uh, and herbs which worked quite well down there. So then we moved, moved here, I'd say two and a half years ago, increased the, the flock, um, sort of doubled in size and um, have since then been uh, doing regenerative grazing here um, and uh, getting, I suppose, as my understanding of um, soil and regenerative um, practices increases, and this, this group has fed into that very, very much, then that thing of it making so much sense, it just goes on making sense. So um, it's uh, yeah, it's sort of way snowballs for me. So I see a broader thing, a broader impact on what we could do, and I see the the depth of um, the impact that that we hopefully are, are developing and going to have on on our wee farm.
0: It, it's quite it's quite interesting, you know, probably john colin irene and yourself tim have been involved at some point in in conventional farming whether that's yourself or family and and sort of seen that that movement to to regenerative for whatever reason one three of you mentioned was fertilizer you know it, it's i've had various arable farmers and large-scale farmers on and whatnot in the podcast and it's to the point that it's it's financially damning to some businesses and but and then you sort of look forward, and you're like, "Well, let's forget finance for a minute and try and consider the sort of environmental benefit of the Haber Bosch process not happening, uh, or not not happening." I assume that's a stage we never get to, but reducing at least, and then, well, I, I, as you're saying that, well, as you're sort of showing now, maybe it is uh, maybe it is a stage we get to.
1: Anything is possible. Absolutely, <laughs> we, need, we, yeah. we really need to decarbonize our entire economy and you know food and farming systems. So. A uh, no different to that and uh, you know i think it's been proven over and over again through regenerative agroecological um holistic management whatever you want to call it that you can build soil health and soil facility through through kind of natural processes if you just manage the situation right you know, as a market gardener I use no dig system so charles dowding it's a bit of a bit of a god i guess in that's in that world although i have met him in person in january um at, oh, the Oxford, so. at the Oxford <laughs> farming conference and he's such a nice guy he's just like shares all the knowledge he's like he's not he's not a, a kind of you know doesn't keep it to himself he's happy to share so and i think that's that's what groups like this are about it's like that that knowledge sharing is so crucial so we can understand how to build soil health and soil fertility and protect nurture love our, our ecosystems and you know move away from this kind of extractivist and input heavy uh, kind of system that we currently currently operate.
0: Yeah and I think we're in sort of a an interesting stage where we're, we're just about to well we still have subsidy until 2028 we think from an EU perspective you know on a large-scale agricultural basis what's next and the only way I see um assistance in that form coming is promotion of biodiversity, reduction of carbon, increasing carbon sequestration, all these things. Now, yes, there's got to be some look at protein output. It's a massive, very important part. We've got to feed the planet. Um, but yeah, I think that's a push we're going to see. I hope it's a push we're going to see. Uh, I don't know where we're actually to so go next. The way I sort of normally run these group podcasts is sort of let's jump back to Hugh, let's jump back to John and sort of run through everyone. But I'm conscious we do that. We'll be here till saturday because uh, there's quite a few of us so what i'm probably going to do is maybe just sort of throw questions out and just you guys are brave enough you know each other so just whoever feels like they want to answer just go for it and you mentioned one there abby it's probably a good one to jump on What what do you think the future of carbon is like do do we see carbon credits I, I personally have spoke quite a few times and correct me if you think i'm wrong that the idea of carbon credits and and making carbon a commodity is a horrible and scary prospect. Uh, but some people totally disagree with me, I know that. I've met a lot of people that disagree with that. Um, but yeah, talk, talk to carbon, talk, talk about carbon. Tell me what you think, where we're going there, where we are now, um, the sort of moves we've already made. We're talking about carbon now, whereas when I was at uni, we had a course in fourth year called carbon management, sure, but that was probably it, you know. Uh, so it's a good thing that we're moving in that direction. I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, Aplan Rural. Aplan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates, the UK over, and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years
3: or a fancy new and exciting diversification. Do you want, you want me to kick off because I mentioned we had a carbon audit? Excellent. Right. Well, I think the carbon audit's a shite. Simple. They, um, it's no use trying to tell me where I am if you don't count grassland carbon sequestration mm-hmm. I accept that's very difficult to measure accurately but we have to start somewhere my finite resources need to be pointed in the direction where I could gain most benefit to me and to the wider environment so I didn't want to be heading essentially to, to Perth or Inverness via Perth when I should be heading to London. By the time I get to Perth, you realise I've gone the wrong way and I should be going the opposite direction. He turned me <laughs> back. That is how stupid I think some of it is. And, and until as has been mentioned elsewhere, until we look at the whole picture, we need to see the thing holistically. We need to look at everything and that includes the, the grassland sequestration. As far as I'm concerned, it's an output calculation, no more. Not an audit. An audit's a balance of the positives and the negatives. And, and I, I really get quite annoyed at uh, some of the suggestions that this agri whatever version we're on new is is going to be the way to go. There's none of the way to go until they start taking a coup to everything. The balances, the ins and the outs.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, I work for a company that owns AgriCalc and I've called it out on a few occasions that the issues I have with it is, um you know I'm not anti-dairy and I'm not anti-dairy in any way but I don't know how you can tell me you've got an intensive 365 day dairy sorry housed dairy herd with probably about 100 percent synthetic water transport 100 percent animal feed transported everything is transported to that one place now I've got a bit of an issue with 365 day housed but I don't have an issue with 180 days. There's 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 sustainable ways to do that. But that sort of, that system, there is no way you can tell me that that is worse for carbon than an extensive hill sheep system. It just, it can't be. There's 97% of that water is naturally transported in the sheep system. You're never ploughing. You're never opening up any ground anywhere. Everything's just taken off the hill. And like you say, John, I mean, AgriCalc's not the only one at all, not by any stretch. But I think until it's completely holistic, we, we can't we can't monetize this, and it's what's about to happen. And if it is going to get monetized, it
3: has to be done right. And I can't see it happen. Me neither. So, aye, we we'll see what everybody else yep. thinks.
5: I think it's too complex. I'm
3: system.
6: very much on the same page, John.
0: Carry on. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Oh, what, I, what, what, do you, what do you mean? Like what? What? what uh, yeah, I clearly agree with John, uh, Colin. You said there it's too complex. In what sense? And that you you never think it will be possible to cover everything, or uh,
5: not necessarily. I, I mean, I, and I'm not I'm not good with the politics of things. So, um excuse me here, but um there's two things I see. What one, one is? I'm it's so complex because I'm if I'm. Set stocking versus mob grazing versus the best form of holistic plan grazing. All of those are going to sequester carbon at different rates. Now, are we going to start getting really good at measuring carbon in the soils? You know, because um, a lot of people still debate that we can't even properly accurately measure carbon, but we accept what we have for now. But it's like there's so many variations in one system. You know, and and that Agri-Cal, um Heather Close had posted about her her dad had written into Scottish farmer about it recently, saying about it being wrong with the as John's talking about the grassland stuff, and uh, I went and read a bit about the article, and it was as I think it was a Dr. Rachel Ramsey, I think, um, and she was talking about how they 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 consider that um, grassland is basically saturated at a certain point, carbon percentage, a certain percentage of um, carbon, you know, it gets saturated. So they don't consider grassland because they, they, they basically say that if you've been if you've had a long-term um grass system that you've been grazing, they basically accept that it's at it's saturation point of carbon. But two things to that is um when we regeneratively graze, like like especially really intensively, where you're talking like a million pounds of foot per acre, you know, and moving six times a day, um, the regeneration at that rate is massive. Um and and people are putting carbon numbers that are going up and up and up, um, and I don't think that saturation accounts for the fact that if you do it that way, and I don't know if it also accounts for depth, because you you may you may saturate your top six inches, but your next ten feet are still are still subsoil, and then they need to get back to because topsoil grows downwards, it doesn't grow upwards, it does, but it, you know it grows downwards. Um, uh, you know, when we talk about building topsoil, we think we physically think of building soil, but we're also we're building downwards closer bit. to the sun. Eh? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, so we're allowing, we're allowing the plants to root deeper, etc. So how do you account for that? How do you account for depth? How do you account for management style? How do you measure that? um so that's one point. And then the other point is just anytime we have a subsidy system, I'm um, those that are able to influence the most will influence to suit their needs to make sure they get the most money. 100%. And therefore you get a system that isn't just inherently corrupt. Whether you know whether the people that want the most are see themselves as corrupt or are you know, they may not be corrupt within the system or whatever, but it basically works to a corrupt nature, you know, because the system. you know, if any of you shout the loudest and then their main shareholders are big massive dairy farms and then they want they want that calf to work in their favor so you know why would you why would you want to promote a system that isn't going to give you as much money as you currently get you're not so you're, everyone's going to fight it do you know, you know? it's you say it's a lot of interesting points call one thing that, that that i've always
0: thought is you know if you're considering set stock and, and i realize we've been talking about mob grazing the whole time we haven't actually said what it is so i'll throw that out to everyone in a minute but if, if you're considering the two if you're mob grazing, rotational grazing, paddock grazing, all similar, slightly different, but you know for the most part, you're attacking that grass more often in my head. Sorry, you're attacking that grass quicker, more intensely over a short period of time. In my head, now, I'm not a grass expert, not at all. Um, we're speaking with a man at the minute who is behind some grass. Uh, but every time you batter that grass down quickly over the short period of time with these grazing systems, they're going to have to grow back the retailer quicker back. That's going to be more carbon going into that product. So surely that form is sequestering more carbon into an animal that's then picking it up. And then if you're talking about sheep, every year you're taking two kilos off at 45% carbon and wool. You know, there's so much things being tied in here. I don't think they're all being considered. But just quickly, away from carbon for a minute, we have been talking about mob grazing. Could someone tell me what that is? Well, tell the viewers, I guess, what that is. <clears throat>
6: it's um, going to go for it. <laughs> um,
1: we're all waiting for Tim. I think he would be good to talk about that, actually. But, but yeah, maybe Tim.
7: Um, mob grazing, or um, maybe more descriptively, um, adaptive multi-paddock grazing. So the adaptive bit is um, you're responding to um, your your weather, um, your topography. Uh, the needs of your um, of your soil, the needs of your animals as well, but well, basically you are um, restricting your animals um, onto ground um, to graze for not more than three days, because after three days um, there will be regrowth, and that regrowth will will be targeted by the by the stock, and. At that point, you are um, taking taking back um, e- the energy from from the roots of your of your plants. So you want to avoid that. You're wanting to encourage the roots and to, to, to grow and and strengthen and and be in your soil. Um, so uh, if you uh, move after one or in some cases you know, people are moving several times a day, but basically. One, two, or three days. What I do, and uh, then move on to the to an, another strip of grazing, leaving what you've just grazed for um, at least. Um, people will be leave, leaving for at least um, three weeks. I tend to leave at least for a month, to six weeks, and in some cases, I'm um, aiming at uh, nine, ten, eleven weeks before returning to that that strip and grazing again. And in that time, uh, that grass or that grazing will um, very quickly recover because it's um, been trampled. It's been, had the most nutritious bits taken off but there's a lot of leaf there still to photosynthesize. So the recovery and growth is is quick. And um, as time goes on, as the uh, grass roots become um, uh, more, more embedded, more Embedded with the ecology in the soil, um, that uh, that that regrowth and the activity in the, in the soil um, will will inc- will increase. Does increase, and um, that's that's the, the basic that's the basic game. Um, what goes on from that, we could we could talk, and we do talk about <laughs> for forever and ever. But um, that's the that's the basic idea. Does that make?
0: Yeah,
2: lot of sense, yeah, absolutely. Looks like Hugh's got more to add though I see he's just unmuted that second. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. This is this is the interesting thing about this group, you know, and, and uh, sort of mob grazing, I guess, is means different things to different people, but I, I kind of uh kind of see mob grazing as a as a cheap coin word for holistic plan grazing. And uh, quite often if you speak to anybody who's done the Alan Savory's holistic plan grazing course, mm. you don't mention the word mob grazing. It's a holistic plan grazing because your your consideration is always planning ahead um but I love Tim's system, and when I met at Tim's farm, you know incredibly inspiring person, and what what I like about not just this group but Tim's approach is that it's driven from a passion and an inquisitiveness to not do harm to the environment and yeah. and uh I think that's the that's the difference between a lot of regenerative farming is you, you're seeking to understand your land and your ecosystems better before, as part of your decision-making. Yeah. So, you know, you, you're really taking into heart your, your landscape, your context. Um, in terms of mob grazing, you know, I've got the holistic land management books, which are my Bibles, I, I go by. And uh, I've, I've worked with National Trust doing holistic plan grazing in their ecosystems. And, and uh, yeah, it's incredibly hard. <laughs> But it's it's uh yeah, hence the name is planned grazing. You're always looking where your animals are grazing, the recovery times, the herd effect, cause and effect on the land. Um and uh yeah, but just back up what, what, what Tim says, you know, and yeah, been incredibly impressed by you know, I've not been to other people's farms, but his system and uh, his his passion for, for for looking after the land. Uh, yeah definitely
0: and so- sorry for laughing over you there Hugh I just noticed that <laughs> pointed up the exact same book Um
3: <laughs> well, I got that one as well <laughs> that I'm version <laughs> I've got and, it as well
2: <laughs> oh, I've, everybody's got it cheapest. I'm missing I, out I, 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 only I had a copy of that
3: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you think you've got some that no one else has and the nah, full spoiler got it. Yeah. spoiler it's a spoiler <laughs>
1: I've, um, I've already got i've already got a pdf of it
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> a paperless paperless better than you and every you know but, um, not as good
1: for your eyes so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah know.
0: i'm i'm like knowing it so i've i've got this book where i write like notes on podcasts, like as we go uh, but it's the only paper i have and sometimes like like managers and whatnot at work will like give me a bit of paper take notes in meetings and people take the piss it's like the only time i ever write anything it's all on screens but also my eyes are terrible when i look at screens so i should maybe try and do both um but uh, uh, wh- one thing i really want to jump back to from right at the start i've got a question for you all again but i've got one person i really want to ask some questions to and it's evie evie could you tell us about I th- i'll be honest i don't actually really know what a commune is <laughs> what is this what does it involve and, and how how yeah just tell us how it works
4: <laughs> well what what i did say was that this is no longer a commune it's When it was, it, a commune, yes. it was income sharing and now it's more it's not income sharing so we all pay uh rent it's remarkably and embarrassingly low and that covers our expenses but we are expected to um work here and it, we've never yet found a way i mean it's very much from each according to their abilities to each according to their needs so there is no having to sign stuff out or eat less of something or um it's just very it it seems to work you know but uh, of course you get resentments and stuff so it's a bunch of people living together but I think it is um we're lucky because it, it started 50 years ago and with some sort of fairly rich four middle class, upper middle class, I would probably call them folk from London coming up, owning houses and they only bought this place by mistake because this guy came up and put in an offer not knowing that when you get to Scotland, putting in an offer is binding, so they actually had to buy this, (laughs) we're in a strange little frost pocket and um, you know, the big ugly great kind of mansion house but it's got its uses and um, you know, it's probably just an asylum where we've all been sent um and so I always feel a bit of a fraud because at the moment I'm doing my financial planning with the holistic management bunch and you know like we don't really do money so much um it's much more growing food and sharing it and giving it away and um and I understand why most people have to make money but also I think our whole system is so corrupt and wrong and it's brought us to this place where we've pretty much destroyed the planet we're living on And I think capitalism has a lot to to answer for. And even when I see people I admire loads like Gabe Brown, they're all like still driving the big tractors and into making lots of money and flying around the world. And some part of me, of course, would like to challenge all of that and go, You know what we need to do is feed the people around us to eat in season, to eat food that we're producing ourselves um, organically, but as well as regeneratively there's so much and god I had so much to say about carbon credits and so much to say about mob grazing so anyway I don't know why it's worth talking about communities though because it seems that nobody can afford to get a place to buy land and that's partly because of these buggers like insurance companies based in London who are buying up family farms in Dumfries and Galloway to put their stupid sickest grease plantations so they can get carbon credits so that rich people can carry on flying as if the planet cares whether you paid your, I don't know, I don't even understand carbon credits, but we've got a a government that runs something called Drax Power Station or gives them loads of money every year so they can cut down old growth forests in Southeast America, USA, and then turn it all into pellets and ship it over in ships to this country and call it carbon neutral. And that's the account that way this is just diabolical and it's all neoliberals that are bringing us and you know i weep when i think of my grandchildren so for me this is a massive thing about um i mean i used to be somebody that would glue myself to the road a lot and now i'm just too sick so now i just want to farm because it feels in a way more positive and to regenerate and to also increase biodiversity because biodiversity loss, man it's like even just as scary as climate change. And we are so fucked. I'm sorry. We have a <laughs> but um, we're just messed up in a bad way. When you it's so
0: true. The and on the, on the credit thing, the thing that, you know, if a company buys ground that's derelict and not been used and puts trees on it and somehow makes it better in that sense, I can kind of see why that's Incentivized. I'm not saying it's right but I can see why it's incentivized. when it becomes someone buys up a patch of land that is already in that state i.e. got trees on it nothing changed <laughs> nothing has changed uh, that is the thing that really sits wrong with me and also from a farming perspective sort of putting trees onto ground that should be it's too good for trees uh, essentially is another
4: issue and also um, yep. young folk they can't even buy bits of land, or any age of folk, or, you know, folk that live in Dumfries and Galloway and want to have a bit of land and maybe grew up here, they can't even afford it, because the price, you know, I'm a part of this woman that got paid millions for her family farm. I mean, nobody's got that kind of money here, and, and neither should they. I don't even know what I think about land ownership, really. It's a, a, an odd idea.
0: It's it's an interesting one, and, and you know, I openly say that we are my family own land and and by generational wealth or whatever it is I will own that land I assume unless dad and I majorly fall out I can't see it uh, sorry dad if you're listening and it's good to cat and dog home but um, you know that sort of idea is there and I have a student that challenges it hugely and she's not wrong um, am I hypocritical to sort of talk about it and say that I'm probably still going to benefit from it yes but uh, it's it's a topic that I think we have to talk about. And is someone who owns land wrong for selling it for a ridiculous amount because someone that's came for for trees? I don't know. I see Abby's got her actual hand up, so I look forward to hearing this.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I just thought the hands up was quite a sensible way to jump in uh, <laughs> rather than interrupting people. But yeah, I mean, just just I used to live in a housing cooperative as well, not the same one that Abby lives in, but one in South Manchester um so I'm a massive fan of cooperatively owned and collectively owned uh sort of land-based or, or housing projects I think it's, it's it's a really viable way forward especially for my generation I'm 45 but, but still relatively young and I cannot afford to buy somewhere by myself at, at yeah. all not not in today's prices not without getting a hefty mortgage and I can't I can't afford a hefty mortgage so the kind of uh, models that i'm looking at are sort of co-ownership um where you know i'm clubbing together with four or five people uh to, to look at kind of you know 30 acres or small farms or a small holding um where we can buy together now even even that we've not managed to find that elusive place yet i'm still renting land from from the friends um that i live on and work on but yeah it's i think that's that's a it's, it's, a, it's a model that we can take forward and actually utilize if we can only get in there in the property market. But as Effie said, all these kind of properties are, are being bought up first by kind of carbon credit companies and yeah, peat bog plantations and no, peat, peat bog restoration projects yeah. and, and sicknesses plantations. I think there is a way to regenerate the uplands that includes uh, trees and livestock. Um, you know, and and we need to do that. You know, a lot of the uplands is is over overgrazed and badly managed. Um, uh, but and, and we do need to kind of see a, a kind of you know more gentle way of managing that, and, and kind of have a um, trees like you know birch and and rowans up there. But yeah, that's going to take some time to do, and the policy environment doesn't allow for that at all. You, yeah, I think,
2: yeah. To no, sorry, I just come in on that one because. This, this kind of guest hits on some of the core things, you know, of of I guess tonight's discussion and 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 he raised some really good stuff there. And so sort of the Derby and you know, as a company, we sit very much in between um you know working on on on, on landscape scale. And we've worked on some of the biggest tree planting schemes in Southwest Scotland. And you know, they are always contentious. And they're contentious even as a consultant when you're doing them because you're always navigating between the grey lines and the grey areas of delivering a target by the Scottish government to increase tree cover. You know, when you understand that Britain is the third largest importer of timber in the world, and and that appetite's not going to change very very soon. So how do you how do you you know move away from that being a net importer to being self sustaining? And you need more trees if you're going to start using trees for products and producing and, and keeping your ecosystems going. And as a farmer growing up in you know, South Wales, and, and we do a lot of work in the hills and in South Scotland on, on species conservation, grouse, etc. And, you know, at, at four o'clock in the morning, when you're standing on those hills and you're looking down a fence line of forestry on one side and sheep grazing on the other side, and the sheep grazing is lovely, but the the grass is as short as a billiard table. There's hardly any grass. Heather's gone. It's a depleted ecosystem. On the other side, you've got the contentious Sitka spruce, but you've got a very good understory in some places of nice heather and you've got black grouse. So you've got two parallels. You can see in the landscape, you know, straight away. Um, I think I think definitely there's a wider conversation to be had about land use change in Scotland and the drivers behind it. I think and you know I can I can see it from many different angles, the critical side, but also the side where there is a huge huge challenge for the Scottish government to navigate to be in you know a a relatively sustainable country and, and also do as little harm as possible um but also be able to yeah i guess you know bridging those gaps between do you input masses of timber or do you grow your own you can have to grow it somewhere and i think farmers have got an amazing opportunity here to step up and grow more woodland on their farm in in small sustainable like colin's doing there, you know integrating his in- enterprise with trees people are now doing it with sheep enterprises and cattle um and those things are happening you know i yeah, I sometimes get down about these things and get critical, but this this just I like about this group, There's people out there who are doing these things.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and th- th- things like this group are are how how these things begin to happen or or continue to happen. For sure, for sure, yeah. it's yeah,
2: empowerment and and giving people the confidence to go for it and learn and share. I think and yeah, um, yeah.
0: I am um, I can't tell if it's an ornament or John's
3: hand up it's John's hand up <laughs>
0: John fire on you were but, so still for about uh, a minute like this uh, I, um,
3: I I think it's interesting what Hugh's saying there um maybe when the farm does disappear, and I'm and I'm coming at this for for a few angles I'm coming for it for a very forested galloway already um to, to thinking where, where I might end up in 10 years' time, I might have to sell it or my tenancy maybe return to the estate, who then sell it out to somebody who's going to plant a stack of trees on it. This is not the most productive land, it's the, it's the land in the middle. It's no peat bog, so it's not excluded. It's no high-value arable land which is too good to plant, it's the stuff in the middle, and this is the, the, the engine room of the grassland carbon sequestration, getting back to that, it, it, it's everything. And just on that, before I forget, if that's not true, if that's not right, why do we continue to teach children when they start science basic photosynthesis? What's the first page in the science book? So things that's green, as long as the sun comes up and there's a bit of moisture, the chlorophylls helping us grab, use carbon dioxide. That's that, that's a fundamental. If that's not right, it's high time that was addressed at school level, right? But back to the trees. If let's say the farm disappears and it's going to timber, would it not be sensible to make some of the better land into a sort of small holding to create this biodiverse pro? sort of pocket it's also a fire break instead of this blanket of forestation it would either be one home two homes for somebody who maybe has today part-time it might be that that my replacement maybe manages the the farm effectively if it's if it's 100 acre that's left if it's 80 acres that's left i don't know but maybe they do that at evenings half days weekends maybe they're gonna have to go and get a job Maybe we're going to have to accept that red meat consumption protein might have to change. We maybe have a, a, a temperature-controlled building where we grow insects. I don't know what the future is, but I think there's so many opportunities. I think they could reduce the size of planting that qualified for grant. We could maybe have biosecurity boundaries, so maybe for high animal health. So maybe there could be a forest strip, a woodland strip, that's maybe fruit trees, it's maybe hazels and ruins and stuff, berries, things we can use that create that boundary that, that go towards the tree plant target, that don't really affect the productivity of the farm, but that add to the biodiversity and wildlife corridors. Again, I'm back to this holistic thing, but we kind of have to see the bigger picture. Look at everything, take everything into account. And I think if, if we can do that going forward, and that comes back to you as well as to what the students are getting taught, Definitely. That, that's knowledge sharing. Uh, uh, there's going to be a gap. We're going to get to the point where the, all us oldies are going to be gone and there's nobody going to know what went on, know how to look after stuff. It was interesting to hear the lady, the crofter lady um, saying last week they hadn't grown hay for forty years up in that bit, and it was our or Sutherland or whatever it was, and they didn't know how to grow hay when they started on with a few sheep and a few cattle again. And I'm thinking, I don't. I mean, it, do I know how to grow hay? And I barely know because it rains too much. And I. But you just, might know, but you
0: never get the opportunity to all try that. It.
3: well Well, <laughs> there you go. So. There's an awful lot of knowledge gaps and things that need transferred, that need passed on to the next generation, and the students need to know. And you know, the fundamentals has to be mayor about the soil.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree completely. Um, I think also, sorry, one thing I was going to add as well, this is a good point, that John, was, was um, there's a few terminologies that fly around as well that I think people, you know, I was looking, been prompted by this thing tonight look up what a, what a farmer means in the Oxford dictionary says a person who owns and manages a farm and Is a farm was... yeah and a no farm age, nothing and then it says farm a place for breeding a particular type of animal or producing a specific crop so then go on to a custodian we call often here custodians of the countryside, a person who has the responsibility of taking care or protecting something so those are words that are coined a lot in policy and, and agricultural bills and things like that. Um, so, you know, then maybe there's a separate discussion to be had somewhere about terminology. What do these, what do these terms and words mean and how do they reflect our current or present, present, you know, passage in time? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, that's interesting. Um, that, well, I, I, my, my podcast is called the Articast, people in food and farming. And, yeah. uh, people said, I've had a few folk ask, why have you put food in there? And I'm like, because that's why we're doing it. <laughs> so it should really just be people and food, you know, but uh, farming gets views, you know, but um, Irene, I see your hands up there. <clears throat> Sorry, and it has been for a while, I apologise.
6: I know it's all right, it's all <laughs> right, it's all interesting. Um, there's a couple of things. One is like John's point about loss of skills. And one of the things I would really like to know that I know my parents' generation knew is how to lay hedges. But it's really not a skill that's much much seen any longer. And even no. finding some to know that could show you is tricky. And my dad has the knowledge, but in all longer has the physical capability. So there's there's a lot of skills like that has been lost of over the, over the really the last 20 years. And um, we, you know, we need to find them again before they
0: you go know, forever. You're, you're absolutely right. There's, there's a boy back home and Aaron, fed, um, well, his, his brother's my best friend, really. he um He's taught himself that and he's bloody good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I've got a pal who is actually a TikToker <laughs> um, who has taught herself that too. And uh, they are putting up pages right around the whole farm at the minute. And uh, I know that part uh-huh. Our course uh, rural skills at the college does that as well so um yeah uh, it's, it's actually something I want to get into agriculture course uh, as part of farm maintenance Um I' think it'd be a good good one to add in uh, well
6: hedges are a great way of putting biodiversity back into grassland farms
0: yeah hundred percent one of the best really, really.
6: Yeah. fabulous way of doing it but the it's, other is um, well I know I do have a Bug Bailey Commercial Forestry, probably because we're surrounded by so much of it. And just as Evie said, trees are not a bad thing, but these sick plantations and how they're managed is not a good thing, especially not that they're getting credited with so much ability to store carbon and when farming's being ignored. But so we're surrounded by these things. The forest companies, I've got no interest in managing their fences, their edges, so we lose sheep out, and then you get the forest ranger coming and saying, "I'm going to shoot your sheep if you don't bring them back." That's the sort of attitude we have to deal with up here. Um, this parish, because Fearn is over fifty-five percent afforested, which right. has had a, a huge effect on the community, the lack of young people, the lack of jobs where you used to have farms and farms had families on them who supported the school. The school's mothballed, likely to close, and I can't see any way of changing that because the foresters don't live here, so you lose the community. And the, the management of these woodlands with their extensive road networks, which are all ditched, they, I mean, I know the the mounds rather than plough now, but the mounds are all in the line and they quite often end up washing out. So you end up with plow, or if it's the, the harvest has been in, they leave tracks and that leaves water runoff. Um, because Fern Village flooded three times, three 200 year floods inside um two years, a few years ago. Really? Yeah. The whole Jeez. village, there was only about half a dozen houses in the village were not affected. And then there was outside houses, like our farm was badly affected. Another one further up the bow burn was badly affected. They couldn't get out. The bridge washed away. We we lost a lot of stock down the burn because it just rose mm-hmm. that fast and we couldn't get away. They, there was an independent report done by... Consultants and, and it was the, the way the forestry had been managed that was getting the primary blame for the rapidness of the flooding in an area that hadn't flooded for decades yeah. so it's, I do have an issue with forestry but I don't have an issue with trees if you see what I yes. mean and I, I would love to put more trees put on here yeah. but for the electric lines it's a bit of a problem but that's where I like hedges because they're lower
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, Colin, I, d- I do have a big so issue funny. with trees Sorry.
6: and and commercial forestry and the fact that yes, they do have to put some broadleaf species in now, but basically it's it is a mon- monoculture, and when it goes on for thousands of acres like it does here, we come out the back of us up past our march, and the next stop for any farmland is. Um, Basically, the
0: top of
6: the Merrick. It's all trees.
0: Yeah. No, Right from yeah. yeah. here to Glen right. so it no, it's, It does become a pretty large scale monoculture in that sense. Yeah, and I like mm-hmm. your sort of, I don't have a problem with trees, I have a problem with woodland. I, I quite, think, or forestry, I should say. I'm very excited, Tim. I just saw a cat, hands down, best animal. Um, Colin, <laughs> uh, I think you had your hand up there a minute ago. <coughs> uh, yeah, oh, my God. Sorry, look at the little cat. Oh. It's still like my wee
5: Jamesy back home. Oh, sorry, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, I, just following on from what I was saying about the forestry is, um, I'd be interested to know how much the carbon credit schemes take into account, you know, the machinery used, the diesel used, um, the loss in carbon from the turnover of the land, of the machinery on it, because it's incredibly destructive. And um, not only that, but the, the, the I know somebody that works in forestry and the machinery has to get to the forest in the first place. And a lot of times you have to destroy a lot of land just to get there. And if not, you have to build a road. And then when you make a forest, you you know, it's, it's contractually obliged by the forester to make a road in and out and maintain it. And, I mean, the amount of asphalt they put down is crazy because they're running lorries 24-7 over these roads and they get destroyed and and it's in their contract that they have to maintain it because, you know, they're going up roads that are B roads and back roads where people live and they're turning them up and destroying them. So, you know, they're always told, you know, you need to build a better road to maintain it so that the trucks don't wear it all down and people's cars get ruined. And I wonder if they take all that into account, that massive infrastructure works just to get into one forest for a clearing, because they can clear massive amounts in a very short period. You know, um, and it just, it, every time you put something at scale, every time you scale up, the more you scale up, it generally just becomes more unsustainable. You know, if you if you have a farm that's community, if you have a community-scale forestry system, where everyone in the farms are growing multiple diverse species, you know, and, and and biodiversity, we're missing biodiversity in forests. You know, we talk about native species. I mean, even native species, there's not they're not technically talking about that many trees. We can grow a lot more than just the natives. And what is native? You know, we don't know what lived here, you know, hundreds of millions of years ago. Um, But yeah, it just, it just strikes me if you, you know, if you bring it down to a community scale and you start growing trees on a community scale for a community where you can build firewood, you can do timberwood, you know, um, it generally becomes, it always seems to be far more sustainable, you know. so, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a guy in Australia, around Reid, and he is an agroforester, a very good one, and he's now at the point where he cuts down one of his trees every week and he can do it for infinity because he's now set up a system where he's constantly planting and cutting down, but he's doing it on a small scale. It's not destructive. And I don't know if we need to try and find more ways to get to more of that kind of stuff. It's, yeah, I, I, that's
0: quite interesting. I mean, like, I don't know, when, when, I, when I started uni, you were sort of the, the typical 16 or 17-year-old farming son that farming was all that mattered and, and nothing else mattered. And I think, you know, that, that's, that's a thing that's changing. It's actually quite um, quite refreshing to see new youngsters coming through the ranks. And, and I can teach folk as young as 15. It's mad. This year good. they could be 2008 born. That sickens me um but uh they're coming in and they're talking about the environment and they're talking about this sort of thing and that's such a pivotal change in a short period of time and that's that's a good change it's a change in the right direction now there's a lot more we could talk to them about but there's still you, you said there about sort of sizing up Colin and and uh, with size probably comes lower sustainability this is where my sort of worry comes in. You know, my master's was food security and and food security is, you know, physical and economical access to everyone a safe, nutritious food food that meets dietary requirements and preferences. It's getting food to everyone. We produce enough food, right, for about 12.3 billion. The issue is the infrastructure, getting it to them and so on and so forth. But do we produce enough food? Now, this is going to be a contentious question for especially this group of people. Do we produce enough food if we don't have large-scale farming on the basis that not everyone is going to do what you're saying, Colin, not everyone's going to live in a community, not everyone's going to produce their own food, not everyone's going to produce just for those around them. Do you see what I mean? Do we still have a working system that those working and farming sort of, I, I think it would be fair to say that the sort of system you're in Evie, is quite quite uncommon, you know, for the most part, generating an income because that's required, and still feeding the planet. I'm quite interested here. I see a lot of hands up. Whoever first wants to go, go for it. (laughs) I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, the Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry.
7: (coughs) Thanks. I come in? Byron. Um, to answer your question, I don't know. But if we don't farm and grow trees in this way, then we're going nowhere. The, <laughs> the, if we carry on using oil as we are at the moment. Then we've got um, we've got fifty years. That's that's not me saying that. That's you know what is, is predicted. It's less than fifty years. Yeah. Um, years ago, it was fifty years. Yeah. <clears throat> now we can make all sorts of adjustments, but whatever, that's incredibly finite, incredibly finite. So um, the, our agricultural production now, how things are, are being grown, is totally dependent on that. Totally, the, the fertilisers um, are either derived from it or use massive amounts of it to be produced. Mm-hmm. So, um, if we if we cut our the world's um, use of uh, of pet of oil um, in half, we might have hundred years. If we managed to sort of ease back on that and work work away from that which is still unsustainable. We need to transition and we need to find our way so that we are producing our food sustainably. And this is a way of doing it. You know, it will be, need to be developed, um, improved, whatever, we need to be doing it. There is, I personally think there's no alternative other than um, if you're uh, looking at uh, George Monbiot and uh, huge fermentation vats controlled by wealthy corporations um, producing producing our food. And I, I don't see, see that as being um, at all desirable. I don't know about the sustainability of it, but our agriculture and land use at the moment is, by definition, because of its reliance on petrochemicals, unsustainable.
0: Just just before you jump in there, Abby, just I think that's put very well, Tim. What is sort of between your point and Colin's point is because I I think from a realistic perspective, there's not a way forward where there's enough producers, and I could be wrong here, producing on that sort of small scale for what's nearby. It's what I want. I spoke about it a lot in the masters. I really like that idea but I still think it's an ideology. So is, and, and again, jump in and say you disagree, if so, because that's fine, it's what this is about. Is there a way for us to do this and have producers do it on a large scale to meet that food requirement while also doing it? Because you sort of said with size, Colin, that, that disappears. But sorry, Abby, I know you were uh, going to say something. <clears throat> yeah,
1: interestingly, I also did my master's in food security. Um, yes it, it, was, it was, was yeah, yeah it my was bangor university uh so it was um farming focused really grasslands and uh, soil management and that kind of thing yeah um yeah is is it possible to, to, to scale it up well yeah look at ranchers in, in the states um who are farming over thousands of hectares in australia so you know that there is definitely a, 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 a they're operating on a scale um in quite you know intensive regenerative systems that are um, that are working um but I think what this comes down to is changing our diets as much as anything else and cha- changing our farming to uh to, to reflect the change of diets that, that, that are needed um, obviously I'm a vegetable producer Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would like to have cattle I really would love to have cattle and everybody in this group knows that I'm, I'm just a farmer stuck in a garden this body um, but uh but we but we need we need more vegetables uh, in our diets we do need more more we need to more plants in fact um that we didn't need to eat more plants and we need to uh be, be producing uh sort of yeah crops for human consumption on on grounds that can produce crops for human consumption um we also need to produce crops for animal consumption and you know collins talks about uh you know sort of the diets for for poultry and and oh, yeah. pigs and that kind of thing but you know that that obviously needs to change and shift away from the soya from deforestation of the amazon as well so it is so complex it's all really complex isn't it it's the whole thing but um yeah i, th- I think i think that the yields are possible uh, but we need to we need to change our, our farming systems to reflect the dietary changes that are needed um sustainable food trusts came up with a really good report called feeding britain um last year I published a summary of that in December just this, this year and that, that's kind of worth having a look at uh, looking at okay what do we need to change to to feed ourselves sustainably as a as a nation um you know how does our farming need to change to reflect the the the, the diet changes that are going to be needed to to have a more sustainable existence or to to exist on this planet because as Tim said we don't have any choice the, you know <laughs> the writing is on the wall <laughs> so we, we have to we have to do this or you know, we haven't got any future for our great-grandchildren. That's that's the bottom line.
0: Yeah, I th- yeah, I, would, I think that's very fair. And one thing that I think, uh, how do I say this? Looking at sustainability and, and that sort of thing, just in general, I think we're quite guilty of trying to come up with a one-size-fits-all, whereas what what people in, I'm from Arran, a hilly island, we produce beef, lamb and a little bit of feed barley yeah that's what's produced here so from a diet perspective and from an environmental perspective what makes sense to eat is that let's forget human nutrition let's look at it from an environmental perspective entirely for a minute that makes more sense if you're in ukraine or if you're in you know zargoth mountains whatever these places are very fertile that's that makes more sense of a different diet and i think it's quite important to consider that uh, Colin uh, what I will say Colin is um, I'm quite conscious of time um, but let's hear what you're saying because I do want to ask you all a question at the end as well um, but not, that doesn't mean don't say what you're saying please say what you're saying uh, but and just yeah
5: <clears throat> no 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 it was, it, was all, it was all just very interesting I, I mean I'd heard that I mean you you may know this fact and Abby knows fact better than me but you know i had heard that we produce enough calories in 20% of the world's farmland to feed the whole world I know, believe if that. From a calorie perspective, I've I, I don't. I've never found a paper that backs it up or whatever, but I've heard that. Um, and it all, it all just seems, you know, because we always talk about, oh, we need to produce food en masse. But that'll be, so that'll be an
0: extremely p- intensive 20%. Sorry to interrupt you there, but it yeah. will be. An- Calories, but it'll be against everything that you guys are standing for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not not, not
1: nutrition either. We're not talking about nutrition there. Yeah, just enough uh, calories.
6: That was the point I was going to make that if your soil's healthy, the food you produce is healthier, and you actually need less of it. You might think you still need the same amount to eat, but if the food itself is more nutritious because it's grown on better soil, whether that's vegetables, meat, or whatever, you actually don't need as much food because the nutrition is more concentrated, if that makes sense.
0: I think it's quite important. I I, I ran off the um, food security definition like a nerd there, but the important thing that I always focus on is, you know, environmental and physical access, perfect, grand, for everyone. To safe nutritious food perfect but the the important part is is that sort of a nutritious dietary requirements and preferences it's it's not just this idea of you know dropping a ton of tatties on a random village you know (laughs) it's it's actually giving them what's required to have a balanced diet Mm -hmm. so um yeah calorific wise Colin I wouldn't be surprised you know probably you could look at some intensive wheat places knocking the sort of record uh, yields are like your 16-17 tons a hectare um uh, mentally intensive system in Lincolnshire or Australia or the states or whatever or a heavily intensive feedlot which I think is the most ridiculous thing on the planet but as a thing yeah uh,
5: uh, yeah well, I think uh, that was the point that was getting made with yeah. the twenty percent was we need to stop saying that we need to produce so much food because we just to feed it yeah. it was more about we need to produce produce like Irene was saying the nutrient density and we you know it's it's what do we produce, not how much do we need, you know. We're obsessed with quantity and we're obsessed with yield. We just broke the world yield record for wheat this year. I think it was something like seventy, what was it like seventeen it, 8 7, tons or eight tons an acre or something like that? 17. point 17. 17. Seventeen. I don't think they've hit 18 per hectare yet. Yeah. No, it was 70, but 17, but a massive, you know, just mm. an English... It was in England as well, wasn't it, I think, so... It's it's a wheat trailer, I hate. But, you know, I'd love to see the nutrient density testing of all these... Go and test that for nutrient density. I'd love to see how it stacks up against a heritage wheat that's not producing. You know, you probably find you would need 17 tonnes for two tonnes of, you know, exaggerating, Yeah. you know. I, th- I, think, I think this is...
0: we're. I'm trying to be conscious of time here, and I'm going to open a completely new can of worms. But um, a lot of people have gluten intolerance and such like, and whatnot, and that's because of intensification of a product. Yeah, that's that's a massive reason. Um, I do still think we need to, like, we're saying about the fact we produce it's it's twelve point three billion, enough for twelve point three billion, but we waste about thirty four and a half percent. So that's now taken us to pretty much where we are yeah you know that sort of eight billion it's a wee bit higher than that it takes us to so we we need to work on that more than more than food yeah and if when we're working on that infrastructure if we can try and increase the the regenerativeness and, and, and sustainability of that product all the better and for those listening and um, we've probably been saying regenerative and whatnot and uh, you're probably thinking what does that what does that mean we could go into what regeneration regenerative farming means there's not really a strict definition it's sort of looking at soil health and whatnot but the best description i ever heard was um a sustainable relationship is one in which you come home from work you make dinner and you go to bed but a regenerative relationships when you come home from work and you get your wife some chocolates and flowers and then whatever happens later is much better but that's the sort of difference between sustainable and regenerative and I actually thought it was a really good way of describing it um um Gods, constant time, we're sitting at an hour and a half, and I do want to ask all of you two questions. I also think, Abby, you probably want to say a little thing about sort of how how regenerative farming network, sustainable food partnership, and that sort of thing is funded, how, how that occurs as well. So let's go with that. <clears throat> uh,
1: Shall I just do that right now? Yeah, I, I should have said that right at the beginning. But um, The Soil Health Group is, is currently funded um, by the Scottish Government's Knowledge Transfer Innovation Funds. Um, And this group is part of the Scotland-wide project um, in partnership with Nature-Friendly Farming Network, Pasture for Life, Land Workers Alliance, Soil Association Scotland and uh, Nourish, um, who are all co-hosting knowledge-sharing groups like this in different parts of of Scotland. Um, And they've been on lots of farm walks and had their own webinars, such one of which John mentioned earlier, the High high Nature Value, which was hosted by uh, Kirsty and Phil from uh, Nature-Friendly Farming Network. And this concludes later in, in March um, when I think Hugh and Tim and Evie and Colin are all going to Edinburgh uh, to a parliamentary event uh, to meet with other farmers who've been part of this um, knowledge knowledge transfer um, innovation fund. It's called Agroecology Enabling the Transition um, and we're, they're going to get to meet with MSPs and hammer them with policy asks. So that's going to be quite exciting.
4: Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I need to get that in because it's kind of important. <laughs> Would
0: well, you know when you mentioned the nature, I always say this wrong. I always say nature friendly for nature, yeah, nature-friendly farming network. Yeah, that's not, that's right. Yep. That's not normally yep. um, yep. we we did we, we're revalidating our whole degree at the minute, the agriculture course. The HNCs at the minute are the first of their kind into the next gen. It's sort of integrating. Uh, vocational assistance, so going out on work placement and, and more integration of practical and whatnot. And we're just looking at revalidating the HND. Uh, and they'll jump into that. And we had this sort of stakeholders day and whatnot. And we had Michael Clark from Nature Friendly Farming. Yep, got there. Uh, and it was really interesting, sort of, um, probably a perspective that we quite often don't get at these things. And I'm really glad we had it, uh, it, was, it was very worthwhile. Um, so I have a question for everyone. Uh, because we're, we're probably sitting we're sitting at over an hour and a half at the minute, so it's been a good one as it flies by when there's more people actually so I've, I've really enjoyed the sort of dynamic um if you were to say well i'll tell you what i'll give you the easy one first but i'll give you them both at, twi- at the same time and we will go around where do you see yourself and let's put it as yourself uh, let's not focus on the actual group at the minute uh, in five years and also, um, if if you had to explain, and we'll do this quickly because of time, let's say if you had to explain in thirty seconds to a minute what the yeah, Regenerative Farming Network was, how would you do it? So again, we'll go around in the order of how I see it. Let's start with yourself, you.
2: <clears throat> Five years time, gosh, that's a crystal ball question. Isn't it? Thanks for <laughs> that. Um, I think I would like to see myself in a position where I'm I'm, I'm much more enriched as a person much more considerate than my actions in, in life and, and holistic land management's helped me do that. So I think trading lightly, being conscious, being respectful to other people and, and um yeah I guess giving myself better values and higher standards to step up to. Um, and hopefully I'll still be around in five years time. That's the what I should have said. <laughs> that was that was so deep. That was <laughs> <It is. laughs> <laughs> treading lightly to
0: reduce compaction. I mean, like, you know what? What more did you like for? Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, if you were to sum up uh, regenerative farming network in a in a,
2: a quick a quick thing, how would you do it? <laughs> yeah, look great, great. I'm having a great time being part of the group, and you know, this these things like these podcasts are brilliant. Um, everybody works hard. Abby works incredibly hard, and just be great to see it succeeding And uh yeah, you know, the key thing as well as enjoying it. You know. 100%. It's got to be. It's got to be the first thing, hasn't it? You know, yeah,
0: absolutely. Gotta, we're not doing yeah. It. Uh, John, five years and a quick description of the Regenerative Farming Network.
1: You're,
0: you're, you're muted. muted.
3: <laughs> five years. Um, well, only the good die young sir. So will be here for years. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I should still be around in five years time. Where will be, be? Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm hoping it's somewhere along the nature-friendly route, um, following regenerative practices that I find are so so interesting. I'm I'm totally with everybody that thinks it's the way forward. I'm almost I'm almost stuck on that it's the only way forward. But 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 I'm also aware that there might need to be a flexibility where it, it needs to tweaked to suit to suit us all individually. So it's a it's a general direction rather than a a, a guru esque you must you must you must I have a great dislike for must for rules I, I hate rules. You hated yourself. <laughs> um, I've always hated <laughs> rules and um, but that. I hopefully still here. Hopefully doing a better job than I'm doing the new with the help of everybody here and others um, and. What's
0: well, it? No, good, good stuff. Like it, like it. Um, Colin.
5: Um, in five years, God, I don't know. Um, I think I always look at the future in terms of tree growth and what the farm will look like in terms of elevation and height. So I'd be interested just to see what the farm looks like in five years, where the trees were planted and stuff, you know, and how. I think it'll be real interesting to just see the actual physical shape change Mm -hmm. of a farm, you know, um, when I go to places where the trees have started to grow and they get a bit denser, it makes me feel happier, you know, kind of been able to walk through grassland and forest and at the same time. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much that healthier soils, you know, a bit more biology, more fungi, basically, you know, that's what we're aiming for. Um, and, uh, yeah, um the network. Uh the best thing I like about the network is is quite literally just the, the, the like-minded community, you know. You can go there and you can vent about all the conventional stuff if you want, <laughs> you know. i'm <laughs> um, just just speaking with others, you know. I, I farming is such a lonely place, you know. i'm um, even when you've got lots of friends and stuff, you know, you're out there and a lot of times you're slogging away yourself and frustrations are with no one else but yourself and you've got to deal with them and you forget to vent. Sometimes you forget to, you know, speak out about them and even just talking with other farmers about, you know, the kind of things you want to talk about. It's just uh, relaxing things. So, yeah, that's, for me, that's the best thing about it.
0: I think it's a massive part from a mental health perspective. We're in quite a a worrying place sometimes in food production that because you're not in big companies, you're not in staff intensive units, it's, it's, I... I actually struggled with it hugely. You know, the times I did night lamins and stuff, I, I really struggled with. It. I'm a pack animal, like like I'm not good myself. Yeah, and uh, yeah, big thing, big thing. We when COVID happened, we lost shows and markets and and this sort of thing, and, and it's useful for that. Abby. <clears throat>
1: Uh so in five five, I've got David Bowie in my head now.
4: Five
1: years.
0: I've never
1: five years. years. I've never <laughs> what a surprise! Um, <laughs> anyway, no, right. Never mind David Bowie. Um, I'll I'll be uh, I will have got a, a sort of collaboratively owned, cooperatively owned farm uh, by that point. Uh, probably a small farm, by about fifty acres, uh, with a two-acre market garden, um, and a, a, a burgeoning uh, silver pasture agroforestry. Uh, system with, um, you know, beautiful hedgerows um, on the way anyway, because five years obviously isn't very long. But, you know, there will be beautiful hedgerows uh, and orchards um, and castle of course. Probably Shetlands. I'm a bit hung up on Shetlands um, just because they're dual purpose and you can milk them as well. So, um, yeah, enterprise stacking with a micro dairy uh, and some pastured poultry. Why not? Because we need more broilers, that's for sure. A eggs. Like we need, there's a massive demand for free range organic chicken, um, and people who will pay for it as well. So yes, all the things, all the I, things, but in I, a low I, impact, agroecological kind kind of way.
0: I must have asked ni- over ninety people that question, and no one has had such an accurate answer.
1: <laughs> you got, <laughs> was, you
0: got to have a vision, you know. <laughs> almost like a description of what's here now. Like, how did you do that?
1: <laughs> God, I wish. Oh, yeah, it's a bit of a pipe dream, but um yeah, that's that's uh, that's what I want. That's what I want. I'm with a group of people, not on my own. Just so we're not all lonely and, and yeah. crying and sad by ourselves, um, because you you can't do all that by yourself. It takes uh, it takes a community to make that kind of thing happen. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, uh, and 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 the Regen Farm Network. I mean, it's it's just like exploded in the last year, particularly. It's like been uh, it's it, I, out of all the things I do. I did lots of of kind of food, sustainable food projects, food education, working with kids, looking at food footprints, where the food comes from, and um yeah you know, obviously the market garden and I work with kind of procurement people looking at how we can get more local food and supply chains and we had an abattoir meeting yesterday looking at um you know infrastructure locally for private kills and uh, and small scale um sort of direct producer to direct customer uh, kind of sales oh, that's and policy stuff when I do all this kind of stuff this is my favorite thing this is this Excellent. is like I love this project more than anything else uh, so you know, even if there wasn't any funding for it, I'll still carry on doing it.
0: She (laughs) says, as she's in her daughter's flat, um, it's (laughs) It's, it's quite clear though, I mean, like um, it was a very good ex-student of mine, Clara, that came and and mentioned this to me, and uh, yeah, I've not been involved at all, I I hold my hands up but I look at those Tuesday bulletins every time like I'm normally out of walk when they're sent and I'll look through it and maybe not click on every link but the amount of work that goes into that from your end is insane
1: so yeah. it's not as much as you think actually people always say this but like I get I'm on various newsletters sustainable food trust and agroecology and like soil association and land workers alliance so, and, and then I'm on twitter obviously and, and kind of I'm harvesting interesting information and then these guys like you know we'll share we'll share stuff by the whatsapp group so i'll kind of look that up and save that and then when it comes to tuesday i'm literally just copying and pasting links and a bit of text it's about an hour
4: (laughs)
0: <laughs> but fair yeah, fair fair and I think probably folks say the same thing to me at this podcast it must take you forever but it really doesn't so yeah you may be right but it certainly looks like there's a lot in there and I don't think I've ever written an email as big as any of them so um <laughs> you probably saw my emails I think most I don't think I think the longest one I said you was seven words I'm not <laughs> sort of trying to get what I need done and that's it I hate waiting on these things all the time so uh, Yeah, Um, Tim, where do you see yourself in five years and and, uh, a a short description of the, uh, I can't get this in my head now, regenerative farming network?
7: (laughs) Well, um, in five years time, I hope I've got deeper, richer soil. And um, I hope, just kind of merging the two things together, I also hope that in five years time, I'll still be laughing at the jokes on the WhatsApp group. (laughs) (laughs) look you know
6: you get lots of pictures of john sheep
1: <laughs> or not john sheep <laughs> Oh. Invading sheep
6: or not john sheep sometimes yes <laughs> sorry Tim.
7: carry on carry on <laughs> and uh, well so the network well um i just find it um inspiring and supportive and uh and stepping sideways again um and humorous that's so there <laughs> we go
0: i think it's yeah th- and like you mentioned that as well colin like, that's such an important part i think when we start things we sometimes forget that there's more than just the sort of tangible technical goal you're aiming for like you've you've got a group of folk here now yeah and like you can see that as good um evie
4: um, oh yes, um, let's say it's five years' time.
0: Five years, you know, yeah.
4: They tell me I won't be alive, but if I am alive, <laughs> I'll um, I'll have really deep, wonderful, living, regenerated soil on the land. I'll still be growing my onions. I'll still be growing my, all my salad greens in the polytunnel. I'm never ever bored with it. I'll be doing even more green manure and hugelkultur, and my mushroom bed will be fantastic. Um, maybe I'll have a Jersey herd, if I take this plunge, um, and meanwhile, well, you know, all the work that Walter Yen is doing, uh, the whole of the northern hemisphere will be re and all these deserts will become green, and so there may be a chance, and meanwhile, capitalism has just burst itself out of its own, oh, I don't care, you know, it's, it's just incredible. like a big pustule, and um And it's gone and we can all start growing local food and eating food in season. And just like most of the people do on the planet have small farms and produce lots of food for the folk around them. Um, I I listened to an amazing talk, Andhra Pradesh to Africa uh, on the Oxford Deal Farming Conference. So, you know, this is happening. People are getting back into what they call natural farming or natural agriculture, whether it's regenerative, it's all the same in a way. And I just think it could be amazing. And that's what I'm holding on to because the other side of me thinks that we're F-U-C-K-E-V. But I think, like Tim says, there is no choice. We have to to farm regeneratively. And it's probably better to be positive than negative. And this regenerative farming group is a hoot. Um, They've all been incredibly generous with their knowledge because I'm incredibly ignorant about a lot of things. And they all helped me a lot recently when I was needing some figures for, you know, real business. So there's a lot of wisdom in this group. Um, I think it's great, actually. It's really good. Um, I'm enjoying it. And I also, you know, we had the Land Workers Alliance get together here the other week, and that was great, too. So there's a lot of people, you know, locally who are quietly getting their shit together. And I like that. It's exciting.
0: You know, it's, uh, yeah, I love all you said there. I mean, one, one thing that I think is quite funny, is you should never do, judge a book by its cover because I, this is the 82nd episode of the R2Cast and there's been two times people have said the F word and you've matched that yourself. Uh, and I, I did not think when you came on the call that that would be what you'd be doing. So I'm very impressed. You just don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> My
4: daughter gave me a badge and it said um, something like really sweary, but highly articulate. <laughs> And that was my birthday <laughs> present. It's on my something or other. <laughs> I'm, a I'm sorry. I hope that doesn't lose you a few listeners.
0: Oh dear, worth it. Worth it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and uh, not at all least this time, it's not Tim this time, And uh, but you are last, unfortunately. Irene, what uh, about yourself? Where you see yourself in five years and uh, information about the Regenerative Farming Network? got it that time without looking.
6: Five years time, well, one of the things I hope to get out of the region is better grazing, planned grazing, That is actually to reduce a lot of the reliance on its animal health, to reduce their reliance on, animal, well, mostly flukicides here, we don't have a worm problem, but we do have a fluke problem, and that is one of the things that I really want to get out of it, I mean, I'm quite happy with my hundred sheep and my 20 cows and my goat. And I wish it was a bit easier to make a living from that. But on the other hand, there's a lot going forward around here with local food networks and buying direct short supply chains. I oh, was at a meeting we had the other night about the exactly that, trying to shorten supply chains. And I think that's actually beneficial for everybody, all for community. Even if it's not community owned, producing for the community rather than sending it off into the blue yonder and not knowing what enough happens to it. The, the things with the abattoirs and that. I hate the fact that if I actually sell goats in the market, I know I know they're going to Birmingham, they're going to Halal, and I don't want that. And I've actually not sold any that way for quite some time. Which has resulted in a bit of a backlog in a build, which is not financially good. Is that why
0: it's fifty-six and not a bit less? So?
6: Apparently yes. Apparently, yes. But I was having speaking to Paisley Abattoir today and that I might hopefully take it out 46 or something. You never know. But it's I just don't think that's right food should be going so far when there's people that need it here. Why should it go down there to come back up? Or why should it go across to Germany and then we bring German port back in instead? It's silly.
0: I, I agree. And I think there's, there's a lot of this sort of... Yeah, I see Tim's going. Thank you, Tim. Um, Hi, right, Tim. We'll see you later on. Uh, yeah. You know, this sort of idea of of almost looking down on a product. I, I spoke to a guy Regis Umujiraneza our two cast number 71, and he's the food and farming policy chairperson for Rwanda. And uh, they have readily available sweet potato. And those people that are poor beyond sort of what we can really comprehend in this country, don't eat sweet potato because it's frowned upon. And I'm like, that's insane. You know, and this idea that we've got that here, that goat's probably one that a lot of, I would say my friends, a lot of folk I know, that'll be like, oh, goat. And I'm like, oh cool <laughs> you know and, and sort of changing that that perception is a massive part of this and the fact that um there's so many different forms of, of protein and energy that we can take in and it doesn't always have to be the, the norm uh, and, and we can sort of change that norm but um honestly guys it's been an absolute pleasure to chat I'm sure enjoyed this it's one of those sort of ones where I'm sort of always checking the watch to make sure we're getting time and whatever and we're now pretty much two hours just kind of went like that so uh, thank you all very much for your time. I've fair enjoyed it. I hope you guys have enjoyed yourself as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's
0: uh, really good. Thank you. Yeah. For Grand. I'm glad. glad. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, that was our Cast number 82. Next week, or not this, not week, not pff, words, apparently I can't do that anymore. Not next week. This week, come Friday, we'll have Charles Dowding on, which is very exciting. And then next week, we're jet-setting off to... I've forgotten now. That's terrible, was Zimbabwe uh, to speak to Blythe Aitken, who is a flower and blueberry agronomist out there. So, uh, very <laughs> interesting chat. She is actually from Dumfries and Galloway. Um, well, that's not true. She's born in Zimbabwe. Spent a lot of her, her, her sort of teenage years and sort of uh, studied in Dumfries and 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 Dearsha In fairness, uh, and is now back in in Zimbabwe. And then the following week, we'll have the digital dairy chain on, which is the big fancy. I don't like to explain it. Big funded dairy digital chain. Listen to R2Cast85, it's not filmed yet. You can hear it better what it means then. Um, so yeah, thank you very much and we'll see you for the next one. Thank you all everyone as well. Cheers.
4: Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank,
0: you. Bye. thank you. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.